Hello and welcome to AFPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast on AFPTcomics.com. My name is David Brooke, and with me today is the brand new co-host of the AFPT Comics Podcast. A historic moment. <laughs> I can see fireworks in the distance. There are streamers in front of my face. I don't know if I had taken a, a pill or eaten a bad sandwich. Oh, I thought it was a gender reveal party. <laughs> Nathan Simmons, thank you so much for being on the hey. show. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. This is uh, a little wild. I, I I guess I can, should I just say what my deal is? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You've been on the show multiple times. Yeah. For the last two years. Yeah, I, I've been a, a contributor at AIPT for a little over two years now. Started when uh, Hurricane Michael destroyed my house in Panama City, and I suddenly had a lot of free time to read comic books. Yep. So, uh, and one of the things that I, I love about AIPT and this show in general is the sort of, um, and I've talked about this a little bit, but the the positive culture surrounding AIPT. There, there's, a, there's a clear unwillingness to punch down Hmm. which is a, a super common thing i think not just for comics but fandom in general it's it's hard to like things on the internet and uh, i think that one of the great things about aipt as a whole is that it's about having the kinds of conversations that fans have and that can lead to like you know love fests and stuff but i what i really like is that this show this show finds a way to um critique things in a way where uh, any snark that comes out is from a place of wanting comics to be better or people to do better. And I think that um, Forrest has been a huge part of that energy that mm -hmm. I, that I love. Um, you know, there's uh Forrest has a way of critiquing things and uh, uh, analyzing things in a way that it's, uh, kind of spicy and i like that <laughs> you know, yeah you know, yeah for sure um, and uh you know so i i don't want to approach this from a point of view of uh necessarily replacing forest but i want to bring my own kind of goofy uh, befuddled energy to a show that i already love and i'm really grateful to you for asking me to be a part of it and to forest for their blessing and uh i hope i i uh, hope the listeners enjoy me <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you they will. I mean, they've already gotten a taste of you like six times or maybe five times now. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's kind of spread out. So hopefully, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not one of those things where it's like great in small doses. What if, <laughs> what if it was always intended that you'd take over and like we've just been slowly unveiling you to see see what the numbers are showing? <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, I mean, uh, that's. I'm into that too. I mean, some of my favorite characters only show up every like, you know, decade or so. Oh, that's so. <laughs> true. It makes it more special in a way. Yeah, that's right. But I think people will get a, uh, get you in a new, like a more real way if it's consistent. And, um, yeah. you know, if they know you, like I know you off the podcast, of course, you mm -hmm. know, you're like very casual, uh, positive person, but also very insightful. And you, you're not afraid to, you know, call a spade a spade. So I think, I think oh, folks I appreciate will, that. Thank you. will gravitate towards that personality. I, I sometimes worry I'm a little too diplomatic, so it's nice to know that I sound <laughs> uh, I sound real. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see how this goes. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be interesting regardless of how it plays out. Yeah, for sure. You know, and this is the comic book podcast where we recap the week in news, but we also have guests on. Uh, later in the show, Josh Williamson is going to be on to talk about Robin and his new series, Robin, that's coming out in April. Also, Infinite Frontier that comes out in March. And 
you know, having guests on lets us see not only like how much effort and work goes into this, but how passionate they are Yeah. when it comes to making these books. And I, I feel like this podcast and, and maybe AIPT too, our identity has always sort of been, we love this, this stuff. We love either pro wrestling, movies, comics, what, what have you. Mm-hmm. And we do want it to be better and the best it can be, but we are aware of how hard it is. So we're not sitting here punching down. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And we certainly don't punch down at Josh later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of high-fiving, I think. We do have a segment coming up to learn a little bit about Nathan, but that comes off <laughs> after the news. So let's dig mm-hmm. into the news. Let's dig into the biggest news of the week. Sure. To start, Heroes Reborn, which was teased <laughs> heavily last week was finally uh-huh. revealed and everyone gasped, possibly passed out. Um, what is that called? Where It's like that Southern term where they, the vapors. Yeah, they the had, vapors. yes. <laughs> it all happened <laughs> early this week when Marvel revealed that um, Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis are taking on a new series called Heroes Reborn. It looks mm-hmm. like basically a mashup of heroes and villains. For instance, Venom and Hydra are one. Um and huh. I, you know, I saw a lot of different opinions on this just right out of the gate. I know that a lot of people are, are negative, uh, but also positive because it's fun. But is it a future state riff? I don't know. Um, uh, it's definitely playing. Which is funny. Yeah. Because when, uh, when future state was first announced, everyone was like, is this like an age of apocalypse riff? Uh, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's all iterative, isn't it? Yeah. The interesting thing to me is that it's tying into the Squadron Supreme and how they, in this new universe, the story uh-huh. is taking place in. Squadron Supreme is basically like the Avengers. They've they've filled that uh, vacancy. Mm-hmm. But uh, what? How do you feel about it? What do you think about this? I, you know, it's funny. I I don't know if it's just the title that just turns me off. Yeah. I, I like these kinds of stories. You know, uh, uh, doing an alternate take on the history of the Marvel universe, which again, I feel like, y- y- you know, we've we've seen that too. But I. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel I kind of feel the way that you and Forrest felt about the uh, Clone Saga announcement, where mm. I'm just kind of like, eh. oh, grown. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I I like the idea. I feel like there's a a weird thing that's happening where Marvel is trading on the notoriety of storylines that were not popular. <laughs> I mean, to the point where the the Clone Saga was announced as so con they, they said it's going to be controversial which that's true like, that's true is yeah. that the log line you want and i just you know i i i remember being a kid uh as heroes reborn was coming out and just feeling like eh, you know so just the the title doesn't immediately fill me with uh excitement that's fair that's the, fair the, the artwork that's come out of it looks pretty rad i like the squadron supreme i like some of these big swings but i just uh I don't really have an idea of what exactly this is yet. So it's funny you should say that because I believe Marvel is going to start revealing the solicits early, as they always do every month. Mm-hmm. And we have an exclusive reveal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say anything else. I know the creators. I know what the book's about. But uh, you'll have to find out next week. Um, I do like that Blade's the main character, which is an interesting... That is uh, cool. Interesting take, yeah. What I'll say is this. We haven't really seen any X-Men stuff related to this yet, have we? I don't think so. Was there any mutants? Oh, I don't think so. I suppose the first image was like a Jean Grey mashup of someone else. Well, isn't there... There's like a Doctor Doom juggernaut. That's true. That's X-Men, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, tune in to AIPT to get an excellent reveal about this event. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Moving on to do our next bit of news. Uh, probably um, the most talked about thing on social media was Marvel revealing a fan voting system where they can vote for their <laughs> X-Men team lineup. And yeah. uh, I, we already knew this was ha- coming because of the uh, reveal at, in the back of the last X-Men issue. But fans could actually start voting for 10 different mutants to be on the upcoming X-Men team. They only have till February 2nd, though, to cast their vote. Yeah. And uh, how's the how's, how did the hair breakdown go? The, the best hair of the X-Men? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Connor Christensen and I wrote a best hair of these 10 candidates to help people <laughs> choose their favorite X-Men based on hair sure. alone. Um, I, I went with Sunspot. Uh, Connor went with um, who did Connor go with? I forget. Oh, he was it was um, Polaris. But mm. uh, go read that. It's it's I actually made Marvel card style power rankings of their hair. Yeah. I have to tell you, I had done all these cards, and then uh, Connor was like, I want to switch the the volume to this and the volume on this. I had to redo <laughs> six of the cards on Thursday yeah. night at 9 p.m. after our all-team meeting. Um, oh, boy. It's a fun, silly thing. But the election itself is a fun, silly thing, too, I think. Yeah, I do. I I think that that's a that's a fun way to, you know, to get some fan feedback and engage the, the audience in a way that's not... Uh, necessarily uh darker or more upsetting you know there, there's so many so many fan i mean the most famous fan poll of all time is should we kill robin you yes, know it's so true i i like that it's something more like this that gives fans a, a feeling of uh autonomy and 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 con- and ownership over this new era oh for sure yeah i know a lot of people were were freaking out during the week because marvel kept posting who was in the lead uh, and folks mm. weren't happy with the results, but you know, <laughs> whatever happens, happens. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, you're telling me there's an election in America that's being contested. <laughs> I have to tell you, we, uh, for our hair poll, we actually let people yeah. vote. And I was looking at the data last night and someone voted for tempo, I think 60 times in a row, every five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was so a dead person. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah. I looked up their records and they are in a graveyard. No, um, <laughs> I, I am tempted to change the data because I, I I feel as though someone wouldn't vote tempo 60 times in a row, but that's just me. On purpose or <laughs> just in general? Like, <laughs> Were there 60 different humans across the world voting for tempo uh-huh. all within 10 seconds of each other? I think that's suspect. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. My boom boom bot is like really working <laughs> over time for votes. That's funny. Well, I just wanted to say boom boom bot. Boom Boom Bot, yeah. Maybe that's like a sidekick character for her. <laughs> uh, also in Marvel news, uh, Marvel's launching the Mighty Marvel Masterworks, a new line of graphic novels that are basically yeah. giving us the first uh, couple issues for certain characters, specifically Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and X-Men are kicking this off. Um, it also comes with a really slick new cover by Michael Cho mm-hmm. uh, that is quite cool. You should check that out on amputcomics.com. Um this is kind of coming out of nowhere for me anyway. They've they've got so many different styles of graphic novel already, like the epic collections, right. the masterworks, and now this mighty Marvel masterworks. Right. Um, and then they've also got Marvelous, I think is another trade paperback style. Uh, there's so many different ways to get in on these comic series. It's the essentials. The uh, yes, yes, yes. The black and white reprints. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, those were big, like late '90s, right? 
think so. I have a ton of them. I like oh, that man. was like my my go to. Yeah, for sure. On that like cheaper like um the cheaper paper, right? Like it's like thinner. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like I remember being like fifteen and being like, oh, you're telling me I can spend thirty dollars and have like seventy issues of <laughs> Ghost Rider? <laughs> Let's do this. This new trade paperback style is only ten issues, so it's a slimmer uh, package as well. Nice. It, it yeah. makes me feel old. It's like, oh, look, they're packaging these books that everyone should have read by now. What? Where are we? What are we doing, people? But this is yeah. for like people who are like ten years old. I'm sure, or fifteen. I mean, and those those early, especially the early Spider Man and uh, and Fantastic Four. Those are those are books you can immediately hand to a kid and they're like, Oh, I know what this is. I know how to like, it's a great entry point, especially those Spider-Man stories. I mean, yeah, you got the enforcers, you've got Dr. Doom, you get a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. Every are, issue kind of stands so alone fun. too, right? Like there's a different mm-hmm. villain. Mm-hmm. Man, I need to go reread what's those. Fun <laughs> is uh, the, the, my favorite thing about those is they're, they're, they lean really heavily into the, the Marvel method. And so there are there are times and they're still kind of figuring out what the Marvel method is, you know. Yeah. And so there's times where <laughs> like Stanley will would have written a caption that's literally like, I guess this is what's like it's Spider-Man saying, like, I guess this robot has heat vision because he's just kind of like, I don't fucking know what Steve did here, but let's <laughs> I'm rolling with it. That's funny. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, the Marvel method is what was that? Traditionally, like Stanley would plot, and then the artist would basically write the story, right? Yeah, and some and sometimes it would be just as simple as I want uh, I want Spider Man to fight a guy with a lasso, right? And right. you know, and then Ditko would you know create the enforcers and draw the whole issue, and then Stan would go back over it with dialogue to right. kind of tie the plot together. Right, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I'm actually going to be trying that style with a friend. We've we we made one comic book together. Yeah. He's an artist. Uh, I can't draw, but um, we're going to try to do it a little bit looser this time. Cool. Right on. Uh, moving on. If you like pigs and you like spiders, you might <laughs> be interested in Spider-Ham Great Power, No Responsibility coming out through Marvel and Scholastic. This is that collaboration mm-hmm. that was, I think, in the news maybe two months ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be written by Steve Fox and Shadia Amin. Steve Fox, of course, uh, an editor uh, over at uh, doing the, the Department of Truth and Razor Blades. They were actually on the show, gosh, four weeks ago, Steve Fox was. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm excited for that in part because I kind of have a connection to Steve Fox. It's like I like am involved in this somewhat. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> I'm excited for this because it's Spider-Ham. I don't know if I'd read it, though, because it is Scholastic. But I don't know. Maybe I would. Uh, man, I would say give it a shot. The uh, Some of the some of my favorite books of the last year have been, you know, the all ages takes on stuff. I, I you know, I've been reading a lot of the, the DC Zoom and DC right. Inc. and stuff like that, too. So I... I man, the, what's great about these is that they're all ages books that aren't talking down to the audience. That's true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Spider Ham is kind of like the perfect character to to capture that because you can have a little bit of that, you know, Looney Tunes anarchy thrown in there too. That's true. Yeah, uh, that's out October fifth, and you know, it. This is basically Marvel's way of kind of catching up to DC, as you were saying with DC Zoom, I think. Because mm-hmm. they really haven't been doing like that middle grade or or YA kind of thing with the uh, OGNs that live alone. Yeah, not with like a really heavy push. I feel like there's stuff like every once in a while, but the 
it would be really nice to see see more consistent output like this for sure. Mm. They're probably sort of feeling it out still too. I think there's a Miles Morales mm-hmm. Scholastic book that's on the way as well that hasn't come out yet. Oh, right on. And I would say like if you're looking for uh, all ages, you know, Marvel material, check out the uh, the Marvel action books that uh, IDW has. Been oh yes, publishing. the Chillers. Chillers is great. Yeah. Marvel Action Spider-Man's been really fun. I've heard really good things about Captain Marvel. I haven't gotten a chance to read that yet, but yeah, they're they're doing some really fun stuff. Also doing fun stuff. <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn <laughs> and uh Fiona Staples will be returning to Saga. Yay. Vaughn was on Instagram. Uh I think he uh, he's involved with a charity of some sort and kind of mm. at the tail end of this Instagram post uh mentioned that they are working on it and it is coming. Um, I, I literally said to my girlfriend like a week or two ago, like, hey, wasn't Saga supposed to come back by now? It's been a long, right. long break. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was supposed to be, what, like 18 months or something? Like, I'm sure like everything else, the pandemic had something Ooh, to do that's with true. that. Yep. Yeah, probably. But it's nice to hear that it's it's in the works and we'll get more soon. For sure. Also in the news, Brian Michael Bendis is no longer an exclusive at DC Comics, according to Rich Johnson. Which is kind yeah. of a big deal because he was lured over from Marvel to DC with a fat right. contract, being able to do whatever he likes uh, yeah. with Superman. And now, if and, and clearly not being edited. <laughs> yes, yes. I I was I tried so many times to pick that book up and get into it. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Yeah. Well, what didn't I send you that? Didn't I send you that Brainiac Five? Yes, page you did. The other day, that's just a full page of word balloons. It's like 500 words of a character's giant picture of his head just talking forever. It's so wild. He's done that before at Marvel here and there. Yeah. But like to start a comic that way, that is really putting a curve on it, right? Like His Avengers was, that was all over the place in Avengers for sure. Whenever I do see those though, I'm always like in awe of the letterer who had to figure out all the balloons for that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, We know that... Bendis is going to continue on with DC, of course. He's got a story in Infinite Frontier, for instance. Uh, but this is kind of intriguing because it could mean he could be working at Boom soon or other publishers that he's never... Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always been a, uh, a Marvel guy and now a DC guy. Never really tapped into indie comics Free agent. after yeah. he broke in anyway. So we'll have to keep a track of that and see what he's up to. In um, possibly the craziest news of the week... <laughs> <laughs> you know comic book conventions and how they don't happen anymore well what if uh-huh. we took all those people and we put them in a condensed space that you mm-hmm. can't escape from on a cruise yeah. ship <laughs> image Love comics it. and skybound are planning their next uh their next year to have a comic-con cruise and this is an insane idea it'll it will not happen in 2021 of course it'll they're planning for right. 2022 and 2023 so I make, think that's a little more that's a little more reasonable for sure. But still, like you've been to conventions, right, Nathan? Yeah. Would you want to be stuck on a boat with all these? No. P- yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't. I don't love cruises. Yeah, me either. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to like go to a con and be like, all right, this is I'm not feeling this right now. I'm going back to the hotel. Right. But then you're in a yeah. You're just in an a small, I mean, I don't know what size boat they're using, but I just the idea of being stuck in, in the middle of the goddamn ocean mm-hmm. <laughs> at a convention sounds terrible. You know, this is bringing me back. Um, the first year I covered San Diego Comic Con for AIPT, it was like 2017, I think. 
It was right yeah. before Doomsday Clock started, and there was a Jeff Johns Cruise mm. press event. Oh, sure. And yeah. I, I was reminded, like, after they did a little speech and we got to ask questions, it yeah. was just like a casual drink beers and hang out. And there, at one point, I, I didn't want to bother Jeff Johns because it felt like there was a lot of energy to bother him. But I look over, <laughs> and there was, like, nine press just, like, surrounding him, inundating him with, like, Green Lantern questions and questions about... Oh, boy you know, everything he's done. And I could just yeah. see in his face, he was like, I can't escape. I can't get out. I wonder right. if you were a creator, would you want to do a cruise uh, convention? I mean, then again, I, I, this time last year, I was trying to get tickets for a, uh, a like Coheed and Cambria cruise because yeah. there were going to be a bunch of bands like doing a cruise. I think that got canceled because of uh, COVID, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's just a different energy. I don't know. Cause I like music festivals more than cons. So we'll true, 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 true. Didn't Weezer do a cruise? Um, they did. Concert? Yeah. It was Weezer and, um, oh heck it was, it was like a lot of like alternative. I've, for some reason, I think I was about to say Ozma was on the cruise, but they were not. <laughs> uh, now I'm curious about the Weezer cruise. I wonder how successful that was. I think it did really well. It was, I mean, they've done it, I think, like, a few times. Because huh. uh, it was, like, a mix of bands and, um, like, uh, comedians and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, it was weird because I think, uh, like, I think Doug Benson recorded a podcast from one of the Weezer cruises. Oh, neat. Yeah. I was just thinking we should do a, a podcast cruise and, like, everybody will just surround us while we yeah. speak into microphones. I like that. <laughs> we need an audience. Um, that is interesting about podcasting, isn't it? There isn't no like immediate feedback. You don't even right. know if people have listened until like, like seven days have gone by. Like Jonathan Colton, I think, has done a cruise uh, like a few times, mm -hmm. uh, which is like all a bunch of indie musicians and then stand up comics and podcasts. And I think it can work if, you know, if planned properly. But just right. first, it is so strange that I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And then the second I hear Comic Con on a cruise ship, I'm just like, that sounds like a nightmare. I don't know <laughs> what the separation <laughs> there is. True, 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 true. Uh, in our last bit of news, Dark Horse Comics will be publishing the entire Unique Studios line of graphic novels. These are graphic novels that were already published um, privately, but are now going to be mm -hmm. published like in a mainline way with brand new um, packaging uh, and actual backup extras as well. This is, uh, if That's you're cool. for unfamiliar, Unique Studios, um, all of their stories are about African uh, superheroes in a made up mm -hmm. an entirely new universe. Uh, and it's all by African creators as well. Mm -hmm. They were making the news a little, uh, a couple times this year, or well, not this year, last year, um, for the uniqueness, but also how well they've been doing with sales. Yeah, for sure. People are hungry for this, so it's going to be interesting to see how successful it is for Dark Horse too. To, to take well, isn't this on. the isn't like the lead writer or editor on this line? They they were a uh, Dwayne McDuffie Award nominee, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. This is definitely cool for them too, because obviously they'll be getting into more um, more people's hands through Dark yeah, Horse. Yeah, absolutely. Similar to Comicsology printing through Dark Horse. They oh right, sure. They seem to be making like moves. Uh, you know, they lost Alien and Predator this year, mm -hmm. and making a move like this is a smart one to keep their uh, keep themselves in the black. Right. Who who has who has Alien and Predator now? Marvel Comics. 
That's right. (laughs) The fact that we haven't seen like, uh, you know, Spider-Man versus Predator yet isn't is just wild. Yeah, they haven't even teased it yet. I know they're launching the first ever Marvel made alien comic in March. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador LaRocca will be doing that one. They haven't yet announced a Predator comic, but they are releasing well, we did get Archie versus Predator. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a cult classic, I think. It's it's great. It's legitimately great. More mashups like that. They could yeah. they could just print money if they had like Wolverine versus Alien. I mean, oh, yeah. Superman versus Alien and Batman versus Predator are some of the most important comics to me growing up because it was just like ludicrous that they could mash these I... things together just reread the original batman versus predator does it hold and up it's so good it's so it's good, so good. it should know. not be that good and i think it, it it's one of the main reasons why i've loved alfred since i was a kid oh that's funny because alfred just you know shows up with a blunderbuss starts blasting at the predator <laughs> you know it's, it was ahead of its time because i feel like more comics have taken chances with like not only mixing um you know crossovering uh different mm-hmm. trademarks but like that that book was bold with some of its choices because it knew it could take chances. It did, but it also felt like a Batman comic. Like it yeah. didn't feel like we're dropping this character into a universe where they like they don't match up. You know, uh, they just guys go read Batman versus Predator. <laughs> Doesn't he have his shirt off in it too? And he's a, he has a hairy chest. Yes, I remember sir. like seeing that and being like wow that's cool yeah i don't know why yeah for sure it was also i think i i distinctly remember i read that as a kid before i read dark knight returns yeah and so it was a revelation to see batman in like a suit of armor (laughs) oh true that's right he had a special suit that's true that's so dope that's it for news at our next segment we're gonna play three truths and a lie with nathan simmons or is it two truths and a lie it's two truths and a lie isn't it yeah it is Okay. Or I mean, we... I've got three. Oh, let's do three truths can... and a lie. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay. So Nathan is. Right. We're gonna learn a little bit about Nathan here. Sure. And uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna reveal the lie after we get through our best of the week and best of next week before the Joshua Wilson interview, though. Right. Yeah, I was asking you about this. I was like, does it just sound like like I've never played this before? So does it just sound like someone's bragging, <laughs> or do I need to like pick really obscure facts? Um, okay, so uh, I guess I'll just let it roll. Yeah, go ahead. Three truths and a lie. Um, okay. I My favorite film of all time is Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. Uh, I was in a band that played at Warp Tour. Oh, wow. I have a... Let's see. I own every DC animated movie. Okay. <laughs> and I have a uh, bachelor's degree in theater. Oh wow, this is going to be tricky. Yeah, I feel huh. like you might know. I think feel like you might know the answers to these. I think I know the answer. But, okay, but we'll 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 reveal it later. Sure, sure. <laughs> Keep some mystery. Keep Warp, them listening. Okay, Warp Tour. You own all the DC movies, or was it animated movies on tape or VHS or whatever or DVD? Just I I own all of the DC animated movies. You have a bachelor's in theater, and the first one was what? First one? What was the first one? Oh, Big Trouble in Little China is my favorite, favorite film. film. Okay, good. <laughs> I think I know the answer. Moving okay. on to our next segment, our top books of the week. We're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Nathan, what uh, was your second favorite book of the week? My second favorite book of the week was We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number five, written by Al Ewing, art by Simone DeMio. 
this series is just so cool. And I came to it a little bit late, so it was kind of nice to uh, catch up like all at once because the series really teases out these like little character threads throughout. Um, the the artwork is just unbelievable, kaleidoscopic explosions of light and color. Mm. And, uh, you know, the whole especially the latest issue feels like you're in a completely different reality. But the thing that I love so much about it is that it has finally started to uh, this one clears up a lot of questions regarding character motivations, especially for the main character and the the villain, quote unquote, that's been following them. Um, and, uh, it sets up without spoiling anything the the last page of this book has me genuinely wondering how in the hell the series continues. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what happens next. Nice. Al Ewing is on fire right now, huh? He, absolutely. Oh my yeah. gosh. I've been catching up on immortal Hulk too. And that's just like its own odyssey like it I can't really is how wild this book gets i know right the body horror is insane it's nuts yeah um uh, my second favorite, second favorite book of the week is strange adventures number eight by tom king mitch Terads, and evan shaner uh i have liked every single issue of this series it hasn't right. necessarily made my list on po- the podcast though but mm. it's it's such an adult take on superheroes but also mixing in the idea of uh what happens when soldiers face incredible terrible things um in the line of duty and then coming back with that 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 stuff that they did and living with it and there is a deeper mystery to the whole thing uh but meanwhile there are still fun moments in this issue and all the issues really but it's not just dark and disturbing this issue in particular has mr terrific go on an adventure of sorts a side adventure and mm-hmm. Batman is tailing him. And there's a, a great scene with the both of them, not only on the scene, but later they have an interrogation with an alien enemy. And it's mm-hmm. it's funny how Mr. Terrific can speak the alien language per- perfectly. <laughs> and Batman, yeah. they translate it for you. And it's like bad. It's not, it's, it, it's getting the point across, but it's not very good. So it's like little things like that. You know, Batman's not perfect. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the heaviness of the story is, is always there. But the, the most fascinating thing, and I think the reason why this works is because Gerads and Shaner together, they have these different styles that are almost opposite and that Shaner has this clean superhero style that is so iconic and, and looks like, mm-hmm. it's not quite 90s, of course, but it's it's what you expect from a superhero comic. Whereas Gerads, mm-hmm. his style is gritty and, and there's actually like, I think he's rendering like real city blocks into art in the backgrounds and stuff like that. And, you know, juxtaposing those two story, those two uh, visual styles Mm -hmm. can really like emotionally draw you into the tale in different ways. And so far, Shaner has been, you know, it's very hopeful and positive. But lately in the last two issues in particular, Shaner's been showing us darker, more twisted things. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like the Gerard says from the start been kind of making us feel uneasy uh, with this political elements. And now Shaner's is kind of making us feel uneasy as we close in on the final uh, four issues. So yeah, this, this series has just been a delight. And, you know, I went in uh, as a, a, uh, not necessarily like, Oh, I'm going to love this because I wasn't super Mm -hmm. into Mr. Miracle and it's just totally won me over. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I I do like uh, I've I've read the first few issues of this, and I the, what you're saying about the 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 
parallel art styles kind of working together, it ends up grounding this otherwise yeah. very cosmic story. Yeah. And, and you know, it doesn't I, even happen that often. Has it, has it ever happened where they plan right. to have two artists work like this? I mean, I, I'm sure, but I, I, I'm not thinking of anything particular yeah. that kind of matches this. I, I do, I think uh, a lot of the time Tom King's dialogue can turn people off. Sure. Um, I, I, but I think that his very matter of fact style of dialogue works for these characters, particularly Mr. Terrific. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I, I need to catch up on it because it, it sounds like it's, it's really doing some interesting things. It is. Yeah. I can't wait to reread it when it's all uh, collected in one edition. Yeah. Moving on. What is your number one pick of the week? My number one pick was the department of truth. Number five. Written by James Tenyon IV, art by Martin Simmons. And this series has just consistently surprised me. Mm. Um, the first couple of issues, I was honestly, I especially in terms of the artwork, the first couple of issues, I wasn't 100% into the visual style. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the book almost makes you tune to its frequency. Oh, that's uh, both interesting. Both in the, the way that it, because it's written in a way that is just very much like, who can you trust? What is reality? I mean, that's the whole concept of the series. And the artwork kind of feeds into that where you sort of fall into a rhythm with it because it has that very kind of, um, there's elements of it that remind me of like the kind of scratchy, uh, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz style and then it kind of has, you know, especially that that the fourth issue has all these different uh, things with collages, and mm-hmm. um, it it feels like you're almost like you're reading a zine that a conspiracy <laughs> theorist would hand you. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and this latest issue goes a long way toward um, illuminating a lot of the. Uh, nagging questions that the reader and the main character have had. Mm. Uh, And it, in a lot of ways, changes the dynamic going forward. I found found myself liking the same things about this issue and the the new issue of We Only Find Them When They're Dead, because I feel like they've they've both um, forwarded the storylines in ways that leave you wondering where the main character can possibly go from here and still hold on to themselves. That's always fun. Uh, when they, like, I know you, I know you've been really enjoying this series too. Oh gosh. Yeah. The first issue might've, I think it was my favorite issue. Uh, first issue of the year. Um, Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. good. And the, just the yeah. premise alone, it's one of those ideas where I'm like jealous. Like that is such a good idea. It's, I wish I came up with it. It's infuriating. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and it, it, it's such a, it's such an open concept that you could go anywhere with it. And he, uh, Tinian, has this way of um, taking global concerns and mixing them with uh, very you know too close for comfort fears mm-hmm. that makes them seem almost indistinguishable from each other. And the last couple of issues especially have really, I mean, you know, I I clowned a little bit about the election earlier, but we're living in an age where like uh, nobody trusts anybody. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. This, this book plays with the idea of, well, what if that's by design? And I, I just, 
can't get enough of it. You know, what's funny is image tweeted, um, my review of it and mm-hmm. they tweeted the, the, uh, a quote from me, which reads mixing in demonic nightmares in one, one man attempting to navigate a dangerous situation. We have ourselves a series. You can't put down. You won't. Oh yeah. I think, I think that's accurate. Yeah, for sure. Although it's not my favorite book of the week. <laughs> No, yeah, what was that? It was Wolverine number nine by Ben Percy and Adam Kubert. This book, you know, it's funny when you were talking about Simmons's art, the, yeah. the art in this is insane. Adam Kubert yes. is doing insane. Okay, layout design. If, you, if you're like mm-hmm. playing around with that and doing different things, maybe it's not new, but it's definitely new for the mm-hmm. series. Like I will immediately adore your book. And this book is mm-hmm. just, it just hits you in the face right away with, wait, let me count. Four by four by four. What's four times four? 36. 36 panels? Is that right? No. 16. 16. Can't do math. A 16 <laughs> panel like layout. That opening sequence with, with Sabretooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's great. Like, it's great. There's a really cool layering of these panels where you actually see the story progressing only in certain yeah. panels, whereas all the other panels make up a background. Or, as you were saying, like Sabretooth's cl- super extreme close up of his face and his gritting yeah. teeth. It's so cool. Uh, meanwhile, like the book itself is like a really fun little adventure where Patch, mm-hmm. aka Wolverine, is like infiltrating this um, auction of superhero stuff. And mm. one thing that shows up is uh, Wolverine's hand. Not sure how that happened, but I am such a sucker for these crowd scenes. I mean, oh, we talked yeah. a, a little bit about this with Modok, you know, uh, uh, that that big, you know, supervillain convention. Yeah, you know, I just love these. You know, I love a chance to see all of these supervillains in and out of costume, these weird little artifacts. I mean, the, the gravestone from uh, Craven's Last Hunt is right. one of the items up for auction. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> Just so many cool call outs. And also yeah. Maverick is pretty dope in this, too. And I've never yeah. been a Maverick guy, but he seems really cool. I don't know. Like. Talk about an amazing first issue to this next story mm-hmm. arc. I can't wait for more. And also, there's always these character pages where they show you like um, a little um, profile image of the character and their name so you can follow along. Because, mm-hmm. you know, these X-Books have like nine characters. And this one has one a page with just Wolverine and his icon. <laughs> I just feel yeah. like that's a fun call. I mean, obviously, it's probably like a mandatory thing for every one of these X-Books, but it was sure. a nice little thing. Anyway, yeah, check out Wolverine also... number nine. I also like the reframing of Wolverine's uh, knowledge or lack thereof. You know what I mean? Like it, mm. it seems like there was so much, there's a, there's a lot of, it seems like there would be a lot of heavy lifting involved to make Wolverine mysterious again, but this book is able to do it in a way that feels like it works with his level of snark and sarcasm that he just generally takes with him. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's, it's a really solid issue for sure. Super fun. And, you know, as I, I think I say in the Josh Williamson interview, like escapism yeah. is so necessary right now because we yeah. can't we can't leave our houses. That's for sure. Wear your mask. It's also. just fun. Please wear your mask. <laughs> we should just do Maverick that every five minutes. <laughs> like a, a public service announcement. In our next segment, top <laughs> books for next week, we're going to talk about the number one book we're looking forward to out next week. Nathan, what are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to Future State Swamp Thing number two, written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins. I mean, I I think the last time I was on here was right after Future State Swamp Thing number one came out, and Mm. I was in love with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is just, 
I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to, to tee this up and not talk about the fact that I've already read it, but, uh, <laughs> tricky it, thing is, to do. it is, but it is like, um, Ram V has found a way to, uh, tell a far flung future story of swamp thing and still embrace all these different uh, iterations of the, the character's story. Uh, it does new things that you could only do with a uh, future, possibly alternate future storyline. Mm. Like a blank uh, slate, I basically. The, yeah. I love the vagueness of it too, because it, it does allow, it does allow him to do interesting things with this character that would not work in a, or would be pushed back against, I think in a modern set story, but it, it, he does new things with this character without ever forgetting where the character comes from, his long history, and it ties into other characters in the DC universe that, uh, uh, in just some very, very interesting ways. It, oh man, there's so much. I, I, I'm gonna. I mean, I'll have a review up for it later this week. But, <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, it's. It's a fantastic. It's a fantastic story that has me even more excited for the uh the new swamp thing series would it be more fantastic if they called it fantastic swamp thing uh yeah fantastic swamp thing and where to find him <laughs> um yeah. my most anticipated book is also a dc book it's the dreaming waking hours number seven by g willow wilson and javier rodriguez rodriguez mm-hmm. is on for these two issues uh it's like mini two-parter and um i adored the first issue of the story arc i think i gave it a 10 out of 10 in my review um, mm-hmm. Rodriguez is just one of the best in the business right now, exploring how you tell stories in comics, uh, not only with like layout design, but also, also like volume and 3dness and mm-hmm. color. Um, meanwhile, Wilson is just firing on, firing on all cylinders when it comes to this new approach to the Sandman universe. Um, right now we're focusing on a character that is human, but a sorceress. And it's mm-hmm. an interesting angle because there are all these fantastical characters um, but she's sort of, she's more, more so tethered to reality and she's going through a tough time right now because she was poisoned. Um, and, uh, yeah, this issue should pick up where we left off where, uh, a certain Sandman crow and a certain baby gargoyle showed up to help her <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, awesome. again, it's like super like escapism, uh, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no! I just that's that's one of the things I I love about the dreaming is that it yeah uh, the it ha, it takes these like very fantastical characters and concepts, but they feel like they're experiencing very human emotions and oh that's and tribulations. true yeah that's well yeah. said yeah like the humanity of it is always there at at present absolutely. In our next segment, judging by the cover, Junior, we're going to talk about our favorite cover art out next week. Um, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go with King in Black, Gwenum vs. Carnage number two by Flaviano. This is a variant cover. Um, I guess it's a bit of a spoiler, too, this cover. Basically, uh, in the first issue of this King in Black tie-in, we find out that Null has given Mary Jane the Carnage symbiote to run amok. This is not... Um, the 616 Mary Jane, though, this is the Mary Jane mm-hmm. from Gwen Stacy's universe. And uh, the cover is just radical. Like, she's got this massive axe, which is apparently also a guitar. She's also in Gwen's band, so that makes sense. 
Right. But there's all these like different drawings of Gwen kind of like stacked on top of each other with this yellow background that creates this really cool contrast. Um, it just makes me so hyped to read what Mary Jane will do to Gwen when they, when she tries to rip her head off. <laughs> uh, check this out. Yeah, no, it, it's dope. It looks like a concert poster. Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Someone's going to mimic it, I bet. Um, if you go to aptcomics.com and go to this podcast post, you can actually see the full cover. Yeah. What is your cover? Oh, my favorite cover for next week is uh, Hellblazer Rise and Fall number three. It's the variant cover by Sean Phillips. Um, I specifically love this because it it feels like a classic uh, Vertigo Hellblazer cover. Ooh, true. Um, it's just got this kind of uh, you know gritty art style to it, where um, you know one of the one of the the common threads of John Constantine stories is the ugliness underneath everything. Uh, it's one of the things that I think Cy Spurrier really tapped into um, with the uh, the late great <laughs> John Constantine Hellblazer yeah, series. Yeah, so sad. Um, but the um, I I just really dig the you know the side of him that's you know on the on the street corner you know walking amongst the people and then this disgusting dark underbelly of you know demonic influence that you see um i just feel like it's a very it's a good representation of the character and the world he walks in and i love how tired he looks mm, yeah wary he yeah just, yeah um yeah it's just a, it's a striking image and i'm gonna have to see if i can find it as a print because uh, mm. it's so cool the demons on the top right are really cool too they are and and what's what's really neat is the series you know it's kind of outside of uh it's it's not necessarily in continuity with any other versions of the story um but it it has the the demons in this series look like that they have very mm. kind of uh mm -hmm. cartoon not cartoony necessarily but very kind of traditional uh, demonic entity designs mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I also like that aspect that it's just a, you know, this gaggle of Jim Henson looking creatures. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, that's a really cool cover. I actually didn't even see it because the site I usually look at to find my favorite mm -hmm. cover didn't even list this issue for some reason. Oh, wow. I think it got pushed back. I think it was originally supposed uh, to be out uh, earlier this month. That makes sense. Uh, to the point where I thought I had missed it because I, I reviewed the first two issues. Uh, and I, I think it was originally solicited for like the first week of January. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's it for judging by the cover. Junior, before we get to Josh Williamson, I want to say, mm -hmm. uh, Nathan, next week we yeah. have Max Bemis on to talk about Savage. Yeah. That's going to be dope. Yeah. I wonder that what he'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely haven't recorded that already no it's from Val uh, valiant entertainment uh savage is coming out in a few weeks and um mm -hmm. we get to 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 uh talk his ear off about story and whatnot but before we get to josh williamson and again we need to figure out your three truths and a lie uh yes okay so well, uh, can i guess proceed. i'm gonna guess yeah i don't think you own all those dc uh movies <laughs> am i right about that yeah. Yes, I thought oh, that was yes. like innocuous enough that it would maybe sound like a truth. Yeah, I'm missing a couple of them. I mean, there's like 40 of those things. So I think there was a dead giveaway. There was like a pause before you said it as if like your conscience was like, don't lie. Don't lie to the people. 
and then you right. did. I <laughs> I was trying to decide if I was going to be more specific and be like, oh, I own all of them on Blu-ray, which also isn't true. Oh, true. Uh, yeah, I. So your favorite yeah. film is uh, what was it again? Big Trouble in Big Little, Trouble China Little China is my favorite. You've movie been on time. Warp Tour. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, cool. My old band uh, did a couple of dates of Warp Tour in two thousand twelve. Uh, yeah, that was a fun time. It was well, it was miserable because it was uh, three dates in Florida and the Atlanta date, so it was a thousand degrees outside. Oh, um, yeah. And when you're not when you're not a headliner, you are loading in all your own shit. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, it was a long it was a long couple of days, but it was a fun time. And yeah. you were the lead singer. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that I, weird? <laughs> no, wait. Actually, this is a good question. It, were you a lead singer or are you still a lead singer? Like, how does that work? No, the the band... Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I still am capable of singing. Is that the, <laughs> <laughs> is that the question? I suppose is the, no, band, the band still... Uh, like a, Yeah, does it exist? No. I mean, well, those guys, they, they started a, a separate project. Um, I'm not really sure actually what they're up to these days, mm. but... Uh, yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. You can find uh, you. I mean, uh, if you're interested in hearing me sing, uh, go check out the offer on Spotify. Nice. <laughs> we're on Perfect. Spotify, Apple Music, all awesome. that stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think still. Yeah. Cool. Well, while you listen to the Josh Williamson interview, also put on Nathan's music to just add a different layer to it, <laughs> a different relationship. Yeah, see if anything syncs up, like uh, like Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon. Yes, play it backwards. <laughs> so next josh williamson will be on the show we're going to ask him questions about infinite frontier the upcoming robin issue uh and i think just comics in general we get into like the business side of things and stuff too it's a pretty cool interview hope you enjoy yeah it's fun absolutely wear your mask well, on with us is josh williamson you are a busy busy man you've got robin coming out infinite frontier future state justice league coming out nailbiter returns thank you so much for being on the show again yeah, it's always good. It's fun kind of talk to you guys about comic books and stuff. Yeah, it's been a year and a half since you were on the show. And actually, Nathan was there as well, interviewing you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's been a crazy year and a half. Yeah. yeah. After, I, <laughs> yeah. After I talked to you guys last, is actually when I had just come back from Disneyland, I think. Now I look at the date. I just, oh, man. Disneyland. So that feels like a lifetime ago. Cause I, was, For I miss sure. parks. I love Halloween Horror at uh, Universal Studios. I oh, so miss it. Yeah, yeah. I... Uh, I, when I talk about like haunted houses and stuff, I think about Halloween Horror and Universal Studios all the time. I remember one time I went, and there was a room you had to go into, and it was like the room from Seven with like the air fresheners, right? And yeah, oh, middle man. of the room there was <laughs> there was a bed, and somebody was in the bed, and mm. it, through the room you had to walk around the bed. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. there were strings hanging across at eye level, and on the strings were like dirty underwear and like oh. And so you had to duck, <laughs> duck under. It was really like a well done room because you're basically yeah. duck down. So you're already in like a crouched position. Even if you're just like ducking to like slouch your shoulders, but you have to duck down to go around the room while you're worried that the person in the bed is going to like jump at you at some point. No, thank so, you. Right? So it's like distracting. <laughs> and the room right after that was a bunch of body bags hanging from the ceiling. And you had to nice. work your way through the body bags. And of course, one of those body bags moves. But you had to make your way to the side. Um, this is a long time ago. This is like... Yeah. Because Seven was a while back. 
I feel like uh, I saw someone say something about how like Valentine's Day should just be switched to uh, Halloween two or something. Yeah, and I agree with that statement. Um, but anyway, yeah. on to comic books. Yeah, comic. Uh, I since we talked to you a year and a half ago, is this the busiest year you've had in comics, or are you just getting started? I feel like I'm just getting started. Uh, well, it's funny. Like, I think. This time a year ago, I was slowing down. Like, I was looking at the schedule. I was looking at what I was doing. I knew when I was leaving Flash, I knew some of the plans I had and what I wasn't doing. And I really wasn't going to be doing that much, just being really candid with you guys. Like, I really wasn't going to do much at DC after Flash. Like, my schedule was going to become reduced. And I knew that, but it was on purpose. It was because Mm -hmm. of wanting to kind of step away from certain things. But then once you get around, like, March you know, things started to change and started looking at my schedule and looking at what I want to do creator own wise. And then suddenly I, yeah, I would say around April or May, I was like, Oh, this is the busiest I've ever been. And then it's like never let up because it was like, I was doing flash double ship. And then I took on justice league double ship. Oh yeah. Plus we're doing right. specials. Yeah. Plus we're doing all the specials for death metal. And that mm-hmm. was just me writing speed metal, but writing some of the other chapters and, and then coordinating it with other writers and talking with Scott and James a lot. Like there was so much that uh, I was doing. And then, yeah, there was create your own stuff. And then uh, I had a bunch of stuff get approved. So I had a book, I had two books get greenlit in August. And one of them is oversized issues. Each issue is 48 pages. And so that was mm. That became its own beast. And so now, yeah, I definitely, this is the business I've ever been, like, easily. Like, I look at the creator owns that I'm building that won't be announced for a long time, and it's that stuff that there's a lot going on there. But with DC, it's like, you know, as you know of, of Robin, I have mm-hmm. four other projects I'm doing with them. And... So yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> like it's definitely Yeah, I remember <laughs> I remember when you were on last you were you were telling I think you might have told us off air that Nailbiter Returns was going to be announced soon. Oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And so, so it I'm shows you how it's only 10 issues long and so that's done. That actually right. goes to print this week. So I'm done with Nailbiter. Oh, with Birthright, wow. I have five um, five more issues. I've, I've written most of it. I basically have the last issue to write, but I know it. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. It's like I got to in terms of my having it locked in my head, plus on paper, I know it really well. Um, so I have to write the last issue, and then I'm I'm done with that book. But then it's like I finish that, and then I jump into another creator own book, like pretty much immediately that I'm going to start working on that won't be announced for a long time. It is weird right now. I feel like I have a lot of stuff I'm working on, but not all <laughs> yet. And it's going to be a long thing there's some things i'm working on i have no i was asking one of the editors i was like what do you think this is even coming out and he was like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) know, that's sort of a good thing though isn't it it's like job security yeah well yeah i definitely feel like i have a lot of job security right now in in terms of that i mean you never know what could happen but in terms of having work in front of me i have a lot of work in front of me there there was a Mm -hmm. moment i think it was in july um so i have a calendar in my office that dictates out you know a year plus of my schedule, right? Mm-hmm. So right now it goes into right, right now I'm looking at it, it goes into 2022 and it goes into like spring of 2022. It's a big it's a big whiteboard with the whole thing written on there. I think there's a side note here where if you listen to the last time Josh was on, he actually detailed his office. It's different. Right down to, right down to all the action figures and statues. Oh, it's different. It's oh my different. gosh. We had to so we, <laughs> we had the other baby, we had to move the rooms around. 
And so I'm in what used to be my wife's workout room is now my office now. But the eventual plan is to build an office over the garage. There's a an attic space. We're going to convert it into an apartment, and I'm going to make my office that apartment. Oh, That'll happen cool. sometime in the next two years. But, yeah, my office is crazy. It's still There's a million toys. <laughs> but, anyway, so on my whiteboard, I, I outline out my projects, but I also keep track of, like, other people's projects. So if I know mm-hmm. there are events coming. So – for, for my image stuff, it's up there, but that's easy. That's I know when my books are coming, and I know what I'm doing creator-wise. But mm-hmm. when it comes to, especially when I was working on Flash, I was always like, well, I want to make sure this book connects and reflects other books. And so I'll mark up events and everything of what I know is coming and, and you know big big beats that we're planning for DC stuff. And so there was a moment in July last year where I was looking at it, and it was kind of empty after a certain point for me. It was kind of empty after a certain point. In terms of guaranteed, like in terms of like, this is happening, absolutely happening. Right. And so it was kind of empty, and I was like a little anxious about that. But then by the time I got around to September, that was no longer the case. Like I remember the day that my last issue of Flash came out was the day we started talking about Infinite Frontier. It was it was that wow. day. I was, I was in a really weird mood the week that Flash came out, mm-hmm. like issues of Flash came out. And, uh, so that was the week we started talking. I went to the editors and was like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what's going on. And it kind of lined up with some of the stuff they were thinking about and talking about. And, you know, Scott and I started talking about some of the stuff and then it sort of morphed from there. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely busier than I've ever been. I, I think <laughs> right before New Year's, uh, this year I sat down with, uh, a note, a little note card and I wrote down everything I had to do in the month of January. And I showed it to my wife. I just mm. want to see it. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, oh my God. And there's this project, there's this really big project I want to pitch um, to DC that I want to work on. And, uh, and she was looking at everything. She's like, well, here's Greenlight. Well, here's Approved. And I'm like, all of this. And these are things I want to pitch. And she was like, you are not allowed to pitch any of these things. <laughs> off <laughs> limits. And so these things are crossed off. I was like, all right, all right. Uh-huh. And then, and then For I was, your sanity. What's that? For your sanity, For do not sanity. do these projects. Well, <laughs> there's a difference between like bullshitting with an editor about something and then actually pitching it. Because then, then I was talking to an editor and I was I started talking about this project I want to do eventually. And uh, he was like, well, what is it? And I was like, ah, all right, fine. So I pitched it over the phone. He was like, that's awesome. Yeah. We should really do that. So I have to just write it up now. But I'm not going to worry about that until I finish the stuff that's on my plate. Because, yes, there is a lot. There's definitely a Ooh. lot. Of nice. We- with those future stories, I mean, earlier this week you were talking to to Comic Resources, and you talked a little bit about uh, Wonder Woman and Spectre playing like a really big part in teasing out future storylines. What makes these two characters, in your opinion, like the right choice to like push everything forward? It came about organically because, of course, it was gonna be Wonder Woman. Like, I mean, this book is interesting because it's it has many parents. Like, I'm the one I think that sort mm-hmm. of. Uh, shepherding it through, but it's had many parents. You know, you talk about me and James and Scott, plus people at mm-hmm. plus other creators, a lot of people having conversations. Because we always knew it was going to be Wonder Woman. We always knew that Wonder Woman was going to be the one that was going to be kind of the POV of this book because of, it's Wonder Woman. And, you know, she's popular and she was going through this ascension. She was going through this change because of Death Metal. Right. So we always knew that part of it. And so at one point it was going to be just her. And, uh, and as we started working on it, I started thinking like, okay, well, she should, if she's on her way to Ascension, what's happening exactly? What does that mean? 
Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, cool. She meets the quintessence. And I started thinking about her and the quintessence and then how they, they sent her on this journey or she leaves to go on this journey. Cause they basically offer her a position on the quintessence. And so she's like, well, I have to figure out what this cost was, what this dark threat was that I was warned about at the end of death. Metal. I didn't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I realized like the specter always hangs out with the quintessence. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I love kingdom come. And so I was like, well, I don't want this to just be straight out like Wonder Woman captions across this thing. It's like she should have someone to talk to um, because I like stuff like that. I, I mm-hmm. after writing captions for 101 issues of The Flash, like plus, <laughs> plus monologue captions, I should say, mm-hmm. I definitely it's going to be a rarity for you to see me have captions in a book right now. So I was like, like inner monologue captions. And so I was like, I don't mm-hmm. want monologue captions. And then I also I was looking at Rebirth. Rebirth was all from Wally's POV, and he was inner monologue captions with that as well. I wanted a conversation, and so I was like, "Oh, what if the Spectre goes with her?" And then I started thinking mm. about how they represented these two ideas. Which is funny it was something Scott has said back a while ago that mm-hmm. I don't realize at the time, but he was saying, "You know, if anything is possible, if we're entering into this new DCU post death metal, and all these things have happened, and now we're entering this unpredictable anything is possible era." And it's full of wonder and terror. Like he said that, and I was like, "That's it right there." It's Wonder Woman Inspector. Like they represent those two sides. Nice. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. So that's why them. That, that's where it sort of it came through. And then I always loved the Spectre. I've always thought he was a cool character. Mm-hmm. Um, I get. I don't know all the mythology and where it stands at this point. <laughs> but uh, I have. <laughs> sure, it's huge. You know, I think yeah. the last time he was in a book, and, and someone could know I was wrong, was he was in some of the stuff Tomasi was doing in Detective. Hmm. And that stuff was really good with Kyle Holtz. Um, and uh, yeah, I've always liked this character. I saw, hey, these two characters represent something different for each other, and they represent mm-hmm. this idea. Let's uh, let's use them. And so it's the two of them as they go across this journey of the DCU, and you get to see them check in on essentially everybody. Like they go through, we, we check into some of the major story beats that are for Superman and Justice League and Batman mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman and Flash uh, in the Green Lantern book. And then there's some quick cameos from stuff that's going to be coming up that hasn't been announced. But it's mostly about them sort of figuring out what this new DCU is and what it means and how it's really about uh, being brave in the face mm-hmm. of change. And this idea that this new world, this new multiverse, this this changed multiverse, and how that can be scary and wanting to go back. But it's like, well, no, we got to move forward. I mean, so much of Rebirth oh, was back to the core of things, right? Yeah getting everything back to the way it was. And I think when you look at the through line from that to death metal, uh, we're trying to get everything back to the way it was and get all this stuff back and get the hope mm-hmm. get the core and get our sense of legacy back. We've got all that stuff back. Mm-hmm. So now, and like Wonder Woman says this to Spectre, she's like, now it's time to move forward with those things, you know, and, and to take that idea and keep going with it and watch these characters kind of start a new chapter of their lives. And again, that can be scary, but you need to do it. There's a scene, I'm like getting really into spoiler stuff, but that's fine. There's a scene <laughs> where she's talking and she basically says, she's like, you know, when Steve Trevor washed up on the shore of the beach, I could have left him there. I could have sent him back without me. Mm. Like I could have stayed. Like I could have stayed in the safety of the Amascara with my sisters and stayed here and, and, you know, forego all the stuff of going into the world of man. And I could have just sent him on his way, but I went. You know, it was a big change for me, and it was scary, but it was also exciting, and I still went forward. I still went with him, and it was this great adventure. 
And now she finds herself, not only herself, but all of them, they're all in this century on this shore and they can make a decision. They can stay and where it's safe or they can go and they're all choosing to go. And that's, that's part of her like journey is realizing she's back position. Now she's a new one. It's so funny. What, what you're saying right now makes me think what if Trump was reelected, would that have changed the narrative? Because, right? Because, no, hear me out for a second. I'm not getting political. Biden is like change. It's a change, right? It's like a whole new uh, president, different person, of course. Um, and thus, it kind of lines with what you're saying, like push forward, make changes, uh, never look back kind of thing. Would, yeah. would that have affected your narrative at all? No, and I think partially because we wrote some of this stuff before. I mean, I'm sure I would have changed some lines of dialogue, but I mean, you know, like I'm sure you talk to Scott about this stuff too. And, and a lot of real world stuff definitely impacted his thoughts on, on death metal and his, on on the ending and the things leading into it. And I think at some point you make a decision full of, full of hope. I remember when I was writing, uh, Titans, the last story, the last stories of DCU, um, I wrote the Titans book in with Donna Troy and, Mm -hmm. And they're all talking about what they've been through together. And there was a, a bit of, there was like many meta messages in there. It was about, mm-hmm. you know, us as people this last year and what we've been through and how hard it's been on us and people pushing us down, kicking us down, like as a world. Right. And how it's, you know, we can do this together, move forward, no matter what, like no matter how much they kick us and hit us. And then there's also a bit of that from the meta textualness of, just working in comics sometimes <laughs> can be right. Very, you know, there's moments where you're like you're being knocked down, and then you have to kind of get up and keep going forward. And and uh, and there was a moment of like, I remember when I wrote that, I did have a, a moment of like, will this message be different if Trump gets reelected? And sure. mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I'm I'm I can be often a pessimistic person, but I was like, I'm going through this with hope, but I'm going to write it the way I want to write it. And right. now, obviously, oh, yeah. we lost, and we are where we are now. But I don't know. I mean, we talk about this a lot with the differences between Secret Empire and Metal, because Secret Empire and Metal were coming out at the same time, the first Metal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Secret Empire, I wonder if the response to that book would have been different if Hillary Clinton won. It's right. Like, would people have been so stressed out about that book? And I think people didn't want. And I think this right now too. It's like people are tired. We talk about this. This is a, this is something about Infinite Frontier. Like all mm-hmm. of us, think the entire world is a little burnt out, or very burnt out in some places. And some of us are exhausted. And even though we feel like now we can take a deep breath, it's it's not over. So it's like you're still on edge in a way. And there's still a lot going on. So instead of giving you guys things that are maybe too serious, we mm-hmm. I think a lot of these books there's going to be fun. I don't know. Trying to emphasize the fun and the positive. Yeah, so many books that I've picked for best book of the week has been just like pure escapism. I'm not looking for like you know sad stories because life is already one. (laughs) (laughs) Like Robin is a lot of fun to write, and I think it's the most. It's easily like the most fun I've had at DC. Um, Like I like writing Flash, but Flash was a very specific kind of book, and I think. Mm -hmm. Like, well, Flash was interesting because I came into that book with Rebirth and so much of the DNA of Rebirth and the core of Rebirth, I, I kept it through the entire time, like through the whole way through that book. And that meant that mm-hmm. book had a certain way for 101 issues. With Robin, uh, it's it's just fun. 
it's just a really mm. fun book. Like, I mean, it's sort of this, it's definitely influenced by like Naruto. Um, <laughs> this idea of this kid who's like going to enter this tournament. Like at the end of the day, it's about, it's about the son of Batman eating a mm-hmm. son of Batman entering a like death tournament. You know, it's a tournament of people sure. who are the greatest fighters out there. And it's just a lot of fun. Like all these different fighters, all these characters going back and looking at all the different fighters that DC has had over the years and pulling them in and then mm-hmm. just watching him kick ass and uh, just be cool. But he's often a little shit. So he like says, <laughs> there's a part of people the, love that. Yeah. There's a part of the first issue where the person um, who is running the tournament, who runs the league, she's the leader of the league of Lazarus and she gets up and she's breaking down like Lazarus and the rules and this whole thing. And then he just straight interrupts her and it's just like, let's fucking do this. Like, <laughs> nice. like first he says, he's like, you talk too much. And he starts <laughs> this whole thing and he's like, let's go. Like I'm here. I've been, I'm the son of the bat grandson of this, you know, he goes on this whole thing. Let's throw down. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it right now. I'm ready. Um, and I've been writing news about both infinite frontier and Robin. And I got to say the reaction and the, maybe even the traffic is so much higher on Robin. I don't know if it's because future state's still going and people aren't quite sure about infinite frontier yet, or, or if it's just this love for Damien, like, what do you think makes Robin and Damien such an alluring character for folks? I think it is that quality of him that is like a little bit of a shit and that everybody wants him to succeed and they want him to be happy this is true of most of the back characters too. Everybody wants them to be happy, and so I think you watch with this hope that they will find happiness. You know, they, everybody wants the emo kids to suddenly become happy. Um, with Damien, you know, I, I I gravitated toward him kind of immediately when Grant and Andy reintroduced Damien. I say reintroduced, but basically created this version of Damien, right? Right. Brought him in. I was immediately hooked to it. And there was something about him, his attitude, his cockiness. I was a really cocky kid. Like, I was a very cocky teenager, and so I kind of related to him in a way. Uh, sure. And I just hear his voice, too. I guess for me as a writer, like, he's he's so much fun to write, and I can just hear his, his voice in my head. You know, I don't know why people love him so much. I think they just want this kid... But there, there's such a heart to him. I think they see this, yeah. right? They see that it's this cocky front that he puts up. But at the end of the day, he still was this kid who loves animals, right? Yeah. He likes to take care of the pets, you know, and uh, he's afraid of Killer Croc for some reason. Just think <laughs> Killer Croc is a monster that scares him. And, you know, I think that you see a lot of these human parts of him. He's a lot like Batman. He's a lot like Batman, yeah. more human. Um I'd never thought of the the Naruto connection before, but that's so perfect. I mean, that is such that's a perfect like I parallel. I look at Naruto now more. I remember reading it before and watching it before, and then with this one, but also with Gleb. Like Gleb and I, it's really interesting with Gleb. Like he's younger than I am, yeah. but he and I speak the same language in comics somehow. Like we started talking about stuff, and he I know exactly what he's talking about. It's will be like, oh, I'm going to do ink wash, like, in Hush. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you mean, like, in those scenes with Alan Scott? Like, we just know the yeah. stuff. Like, about Joe Mad, and we were talking about Deadpool. We started talking about cliffhanger stuff, where I could be like, oh, I want the lettering to be, like, this thing in cliffhanger. And we started having this whole conversation about comic craft. 
and, and how they were lettering battle chasers. And then you look at stuff like Crimson and Danger Girl and like, and uh. we start talking about that stuff and you can, we, we just sort of speak a very similar language. And he also likes like Shonen Jump. And so mm-hmm. because he likes Shonen Jump, that allows us to start having conversations in that realm about what kind of book this is. And it's very different from anything I've done. That was one thing I remember back again when uh, I had this call with Marie Javens, you know, back she wasn't she was editor in chief yet. She was just um, she was editor of a certain branch. I always forget what it's called. But it's the it was initi- a new initiatives is what I think. Oh, wasn't it like digital media or something like that? It has a it has a different title. I can't remember the exact. Yeah. Name. It's like new. I always call it new initiatives. Was what it was, but mm-hmm. it was like, you know, digital. Yeah, it was digital. It was international stuff. Um, special projects. She was in charge of that before she got promoted to editor in chief. But you know, she was also editing all of Death Metal, and uh, I can have very candid, good conversations with Marie, and she's you know very honest and very uh, straight straight shooter about stuff and she's done so much in our industry there was a time she put me in my place about a year ago we were talking about um we were talking about marvel knights and we were talking about marvel in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and was talking about how exciting it was and talking about i went into this whole thing about marvel knights and ultimate spider-man and, and, and a lot of stuff about how creative that particular era was and how like mm-hmm. wild nasty it was, you know, but I forget that like she was working there in that time period. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Working there at the cusp of that changeover. It was a really scary time. And it's like, you know, Bendis talked about this where he would go to the offices and you could tell walking into the Marvel offices that it was like a ghost town. And, you know, they were literally like signs selling filing cabinets in the hallway at Marvel. Wow, oh, man. It was a dark time for them, but they were doing creative stuff. There was a weird changeover, and all these things were happening. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Posada was coming in, and it was definitely like a weird era. And people, for us as, as outsiders looking in, you were just like, oh, so exciting. But it's like for them, it, it was a different story. And she right. reminded me of that. And she kind of, uh, not to get too deep into it, but she reminded me of that. But anyway, so her and I were talking um, the week The Flash came out. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know. I haven't offered a lot of stuff from DC. Once DC knew I was leaving Flash, when we knew uh, I was leaving Flash, we started talking about it. I mean, we really, we really knew um, around spring of 2019. We kind of knew when I was going to leave, and okay. I knew what I was building to, and I knew some of the stuff I wanted to do, and, and, and what we were gearing up for. And a lot of the books they were offering me were exciting. But I, I just didn't feel it. I wasn't obsessed with it. And I think that's something I have learned over the years. If I just take a job just because it's the job in front of me or it's interesting or whatever, I, it isn't going to be as strong as something I'm obsessed with that I'm going to get lost. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously with Flash, I was obsessed with Flash. And so I, that, I was able to put a lot of myself into that book. And, you know, something like Justice League Odyssey, which is something that, like, I'm proud of and I'm glad that it went as long as it did. Like, I mm-hmm. can't believe it went 25 issues. Um, but there's that's part of why I left that book so fast. And it had some of those, really had all those hiccups at the beginning because it was something mm-hmm. I was obsessed with. I wasn't as connected with. Uh, which is kind of a bummer. I wish Abner had written that book from issue one because he had been wanting to do a space book for years. And um, I think he would have been a better fit for it because, it, again, that was something he would have been obsessed with. 
so for me, when we were talking about these books, we just kept coming back around to like, they would offer me different stuff. And then there were some things I was playing hardball on where I was like, well, if I'm going to get that character, I also want this character. And like, <laughs> You know, we were going back and forth and we were having these summits and just talking about different characters. And, and um, even, in, you know, a year ago, the characters that I was thinking about doing and talking to them about, mm-hmm. there were some, I was like, oh, I, I was coming in this weird role of like, I could do that. I guess that would make sense. Like, uh-huh. I guess it feels like the next step. And I guess that feels like something I could do next. But I didn't have my heart in it, or it wasn't something that was, like, really getting me excited or excited at that moment. Like, there are some characters, like, right. I'll use an example. It's, like, Aquaman, where it's, like, Aquaman is a character I want to write eventually. Like, I have, like, a 12-issue story in my mind for Aquaman down the line that I mm-hmm. like but it didn't feel like the right time now to be doing it. And and there were other things going on. So I really just kind of looked at what I was doing. So I was talking to Marie and she says, she's like, you have to do something that's unexpected. You have to work on a few things that aren't the things that people are going to just automatically guess you would do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at that point, I think, I think two of the books was working on was greenlit by then. Um, and they're uh, they are unexpected. And like Robin, I don't think anybody saw me doing Robin next. So it's like, but with all of that, to get back to your question, it's like Robin is something I find myself obsessed with. Like I hear it mm-hmm. on working on, and I love writing it. Like it's it is so much fun writing that book. It's just it's it's but it's also different from Flash. It's a very different pace, you know. Like mm-hmm. uh, each issue. There's a slower pace to it. I don't know, which gets back to the idea of Naruto and kind of manga and stuff like that, where those kinds of mm-hmm. books pace differently and how Flash was a book that was paced always on the move, always, mm-hmm. always going. Every issue had to be quick and going and moving the narrative along in some way or form. I never really slowed it. I would slow it down occasionally, but I wasn't slowing it down all the time. Whereas in Robin, I think it's a book, especially because it's like a ninja book, you know, it's a fight book. Yeah. You could have a, issue where it's about him training on the beach with somebody you can get away with that and you can get right him, you know going on some kind of spiritual journey for an issue uh where only you can do that with flash anyway but yeah i love Damien. i'm glad people like him they're excited about him yeah i mean did you find when you were when you were putting the book together you're talking about finding you know the right balance the pacing and everything yeah. did the pandemic ever affect any of your plans for infinite frontier or robin or anything get set back or changed not Infinite frontier not for robin but i mean it definitely impacted all my creator own ideas like all my creative oh, sure. ideas and books, all those got pushed back. All those got moved around. I wasn't far enough along in some of them, and then I was also, I was also a little burnt out because we had the baby last year, almost a year ago. Yeah, maybe, and then we went into the pandemic, and it was like, and then I suddenly was busier than I've ever been, and so there was a lot of stuff that kind of, kind of fell to the wayside. All the creator own plans I had for this year for 2020, and, and mm-hmm. I would say 2021 as well. Uh, all got shifted around drastically. Uh, that is the biggest thing that the pandemic probably hit was my career own side of things. Gotcha. When it came to DC and Infinite Frontier, I mean, Infinite Frontier isn't something we really started talking about until September. You know, it's like, oh, wow. I oh, think yeah. we, we had talked about something we knew 
it, it came about differently, I guess. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, here's this one shot, then here's the books. They, they both kind of came side by side with each other, where it's like, Infinite Frontier was building, or I'm sorry, uh, Future State was building, the end of Death Metal was building, we knew what we were doing, and there were a lot of books that we started talking about that started being developed. Like, the Green Lantern book, I think, has been in development for a long time. It was mm-hmm. in for almost a year so you know that book has been in development for a while um there were certain things that were already kind of in flux and so we started talking about if i mean i think the name of infinite frontier and the theme of it the idea of us doing something like this has been going on mm-hmm. but the actual okay what is it was probably in september and that's when you start putting wild it's well it's like putting a name to a conversation you've been having for a long time sure you know, like and when it was revealed, I know a lot of people were like, oh, this is 5G. This is what 5G is. And it's like, uh, I don't know about that. No, not at all. No, no, no. 5G is. Uh, how do I put this? I wasn't really working on 5G stuff. I should. I should. OK. I wasn't really working on 5G stuff. I was definitely in those conversations, but I wasn't really working on it. Um, we, we had talked about me doing stuff with it. But again, it was like nothing I could find myself obsessed with. Gotcha. Right. And, um, you know, yeah, none of that. That's that's a distant memory now. Like, it's not even something I I think about at all anymore. I don't know. I know there are certain elements. I know there's rumors of future state, blah, blah, blah. But Right, know, right. It's like well, there's, there's some truth to some of it, but then a lot of that stuff, it's, I think it's dismissive sometimes of the work a lot of Ed Portal did. And, right. When there's, like, when there's like drama and, and talk about, you know, what's going on with, especially with the big two, yeah. I always sit, sit there and think, will we ever get a biopic in 20 years? Probably not. There's not a, the <laughs> oh, audience isn't big enough, but I want it. I want I, to read it or watch I, it. <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to write a book someday. Um, mm-hmm. it is funny though. Like, I think the, the narrative online sometimes versus the reality is really interesting. Cause it's like, you know, like I see people going really, really deep on the numbers sometimes. And it's like, none of those numbers that are out are, are like with this, unless a publisher outright states, this is exactly what this sold. The numbers are often wrong. So interesting. Oh, was a, gotcha. there was a book that came out last year that I saw, on one of the lists, like Comicron or whatever, saying it sold forty thousand. I know it sold one hundred and twenty. So sometimes oh, wow. it can be way off. Sometimes they're pretty close. I think the lower you get, it's pretty close. Like once you start getting under like fifteen thousand, that's when you're starting to get you're getting closer to the actual uh-huh. thing. But yeah, it's wild, man. There are times where somebody will be like, "Oh, this book sold a hundred and I'll look and I'm like, "Oh man, it sold two hundred. It, it's really. Huh. Uh, it's really fascinating. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's it is. on, sometimes it's way off. Sometimes they're all over the place. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was always keeping track of it because of, um, I'm a shrewd businessman. So when I was working on Flash, and every time my deal would come up at DC, I was always very on top of. Oh, nice. You know, smart. Uh, one year they gave us, one year they gave us hands <laughs> at a summit, at a summit three years ago, you know, we had a long conversation about sales and they gave us handouts that had the exact numbers of what our books had sold in the year 2017. And seeing that was very eye-opening and and making me look at, like, what actually sold, what doesn't sell, and what people think is a hit. And then you also have to consider the budgets on some projects. Mm, right. Now, like, if I told you... I was just thinking about this. Like, Strange Academy, for instance, there was so much marketing around that book, and I don't think it's selling that well. I don't know. I don't know. I... I, yeah. I that team a lot. I was just thinking about Herbert Ramos the other day. 
I like those guys a lot. I hope it's I hope it's doing. Yeah, good. me too. Yeah. Well, what I was gonna say is that like if I told you there's two movies and I say this movie made three hundred million dollars and this mm-hmm. movie hundred million dollars, which one is the success? You would have to know the budget. Right. Right. Because if the one that made yeah, hundred was made for three hundred, that is a failure. But if one that made 100 was made for 15, that's a success. And that's kind of one right. of the pieces of comics sometimes. We shouldn't mm-hmm. go too deep into that, but I think that's it's always a fascinating part of... Uh, that's why uh, M. Night Shyamalan was so big, right? Like, Sixth Sense cost, like, 18, and it made, like, 350 or something. Yeah, it's crazy sometimes. And you start going into movies, and you see this stuff, and you're like, man, they made that for what? Like, right. Yeah, that's huge. We were... I was thinking about this with, like, Mighty Ducks. I watched Mighty Ducks the other night, and Mighty Ducks is a movie that... Uh, was a big hit the year it came out and it made you know a ton of money but it was made for so little look at like a fish called wanda was it was crazy i was looking at the movie called the fish called wanda and how it was the seventh i think it was the seventh highest movie that year it came out it beat die hard yeah it made wow. more than die hard did different industry i guess at the time yeah Oh man, yeah, you look back at that year and you look at the movies that came out and what was like the <laughs> movie and stuff. It's wild. Like, yeah, definitely different. Anyway, we should keep going. With when it comes to like planning uh, yeah. Infinite Frontier, yeah. like, how did you uh, write and like sort of manage the overarching st- structure? Was there like an outline, a rough script, a treatment? Uh, did you do an abstract painting and everyone kind of looked at it and did their own thing? <laughs> uh, it depends on who the writers are. Like, there's some writers you know, you can just mm-hmm. say, you know, like, I'm not going to tell Jeff what to do with Stargirl. That's stupid. Like, um, <laughs> you know, so we... Sure. Uh, so I wrote... When we first started talking about it, then it became, okay, how long is it? How many pages is it? Mm-hmm. How many writers are we going to do? What are the teams? Who's bringing in what? What are we doing? And then once we started, we started figuring that out, I just pulled out my notebook, and I just said 1 through 64. And I sat there and figured out the math, and I was like, who's going to get... How are we going to do this? And I sent mm-hmm. Ed and they looked it over and they were like, okay, well, here's what we think. Uh, I talked to Scott and James about it and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write these scenes. You guys are going to work on this, you know? And with those guys, it's different because I know those guys so well. So it's a lot more of us just talking. And, you know, James has such a good handle on Batman that it's like, I don't have to say anything to him. He knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's doing an awesome Batman story and, and he knows Batman so well. I think he'll be fine. And uh, talking with Scott a bit about stuff because I was actually writing. I was writing the framework of it around the same time as he was writing the coda for Death Metal. He knew it. He had already written mm. it, but he had to write the coda for it. Right. So we were all talking on the phone about the coda for Death Metal at the same time as I was writing this. So it all kind of was able to like work together in a weird way. Like, I love some the of the sequence. <laughs> frontier we were able to put into the coda because we were having those conversations so yeah i broke up i just literally sat down and then i took a picture of it i sent it to editorial they figured out what they needed they sent it back and then i wrote a document i wrote a, a document that was just okay this is what this is and then here are the teams um for each one of the things and, and i made some suggestions and then editorial you know talk with those creators and mm-hmm. And figured some stuff out, and then uh, people started filling the blanks after that. It was cool. Like some people, you know, nice. like, you know, like Bendis and Jeff uh, and James, they could go, you know, figure stuff out on their own and, and come back with cool stuff. And they did that. And then you have like Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad. They have a really good handle on Wonder Wonder Woman. And actually, when they sent me their uh, Wonder Woman story, it really made me be like, oh yeah, this is gonna be a cool Wonder Woman book because I got three there. 
script for Infinite Frontier first, and then so I think I had like one note on theirs. Like I think some of the stuff it's weird. Like I would basically just go to editorial, and my notes were always um, continuity notes, or or because they didn't. It was more like, well, this happens in death metal, so we need to make sure that this doesn't like contradict or it lines up. And so there was a lot of that, uh, just going back and forth. Makes sense. But yeah. Most working through editorial. And then I wrote then I wrote um, the bookends. So I wrote the bookends. I wrote like a really loose plot version of it, sent that over to Scott and James, got their thoughts mm-hmm. on you know, uh, talked with Scott on the phone about it. Um and worked out what we wanted and then went back in and, and changed it up. And then, and then John Tim started drawing that. And, and, uh, for me, the four chapters that I worked on the most are the, the John Tim's chapter, which is the bookends. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Alex may leave drew a two page story that I'm really excited about. And it was funny cause I was in the middle of reading the Bendis Daredevil stuff again while oh, which, yeah while I was writing it so I had like an idea in my mind of what I wanted to do and it was cool because it's like him and then Jordy Blair colored it it looks so cool but it's just two pages but it, it's like a bigger moment I think that'll make people happy even though it's only two pages like there's a lot going on <laughs> two pages and then yeah. our Porter drew the flap section with me um, which I believe will be my, my last final say on the flash <laughs> it was right there and then I did an epilogue that um, John Romita Jr. drew. Um, nice. And then stuff just starts coming in, you know, getting the art coming yeah. in slowly, getting the letters coming in, getting it all in. And, and then I actually got to look at it all for the first time about a week and a half ago, and just looking at it as a whole and being like, okay, how is this working? Does it flow? And mm-hmm. talking about that with editorial and, and again, James and Scott. But, you know, when it comes to some of the creators, unless I know them personally, and I also don't want to, I'm not an editor. And no one's paying mm-hmm. me to, to tell other people what to do. I'm, I'm working on this one project. Yeah. So I made a couple, I would make like light suggestions, but my suggestions were always continuity suggestions. It was always like, well, actually, you know, like in this comic book, this happened. So this person wouldn't say, um, <laughs> right. Did you wear glasses well, when you said that? Cause it sounded like a nerd. I am wearing a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I wear contacts throughout the week when I'm, <laughs> I wear contacts when I'm writing, but wear glasses on the weekend. But anyway, got it. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, I, but yeah, I wrote this like overall structure for it and kind of some of the bigger, some of the events that happen throughout that are bigger. Like we have a couple characters that come back from the dead. There's a couple other uh, things that happen that are kind of big throughout it that, uh, I mean, the whole thing is about, it is about being brave in the face of change and starting mm-hmm. next time. Like every, every story is about that in some form or another. It's, it's you know, each group is kind of going through a change in some way and embracing that change. Um, and just kind of keeping that theme, that, that theme running across all of it was the stuff that I was really paying most attention to. But at the same time, it's like part of this change is, you know, all these new creators are coming in and all these new voices and new talent. And it's like, mm-hmm. I want them to speak for themselves. So it's like giving them the room to be able to do that in this special as well. For sure. Well, um, on the subject of, continuity you've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about trying to navigate the the changes to the dc universe that uh, were caused by dr manhattan uh is there any extra stress or anxiety around exploring a character that is or you know even the consequences of a character that is like so iconic like dr manhattan well i've been pretty lucky i haven't it's funny because i worked on the button 
and because I worked on the button, that is the closest I got to some of the Watchmen stuff and some of the sure. stuff. Um, but then, I mean, I had him in, um, I had him in Speed Metal, just that scene where we're explaining like the whole mythology of Wally for the last five years mm-hmm. is 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 in there, and that was the most of it. Do you mean like, well, do you mean like the idea of, oh my God, it's Watchmen? Or do you mean a character of that stature and power? Essentially, yeah, having, touching Watchmen in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was really intimidating. I feel like I I told you this story before where um, when I first started working on The Flash, when I got the job on The Flash, um, we, we started talking about different stuff and. Mm-hmm. what we were doing and what rebirth was but you know i hadn't worked on i hadn't worked at dc in a few years and i'm still just like a new guy in the building you know it's like for a lot of that group they had they didn't know who i was like they knew they knew nail biter birthright but i'm not mm-hmm. system like i'm not one of the guys i'm not one of the people <laughs> who've been working on these books for a long time you know i haven't been mm-hmm. on summits with them and i don't know them all well and I know some bits and pieces of editorial, but I know them casually or kind of, you know, you have a, mm-hmm. at a con every once in a while. And so they weren't as forthcoming with me, like right at the gate, you know, it's like not like the day I got the job in the flash. So like sure. two years. And actually, as far as they were concerned, I was still working for Marvel at the time. I was doing Marvel books. So they're right. like, they're not going to lay out the whole map in front of me. It came gradually. I think over time, um, so I got the job in November and then by December I got a phone call and they were like, Wally, Wally's coming back. And you have to have an issue nine. And I was like, that's fine with me. I love Wally. Like, what? Yeah. Like, what's going on? They're like, well, here's what's happening. We can't get, I can't tell you everything yet. But here's what's going on. And I was like, that's great. But at that point, they already knew. Jeff had already right. knew what he was doing. Because I remember when the first meeting I had with Jeff, he made a comment about it. And they were like, it's too soon to talk to him about it. Like, they oh, were wow. quite oh. there. So, hush, hush. Yeah, hush hush. Oh man, Jeff's real tough big time hush hush. So uh, in DC, you know, again, I'm like, I'm, it, it's a very different world now. It's like I knew them, sure, but I wasn't in like every meeting and having conversations about the the destiny of the company or whatever, right? Or the destiny, sure. of the company. Just, dude. <laughs> the emperor is giving a speech. The destiny. Yeah, I was. I was just a dude hired right the Flash. So it's like, and even then, it's like you know, uh, I could have completely botched that first issue and they've been like this guy's not working out we gotta find somebody else that could have happened so (laughs) you know it was after i turned in issue one and the outline for the first eight issues was locked that's when they were like okay let's start talking to him more about things and then it was Mm. like you know wally's coming back and this is what's going on like okay 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 and then it was okay well you're writing this other stuff so this is what's happening here here and there and eventually they were like okay we're going to send you the script for Rebirth. Before it was announced. They're going to send, we're going to send you the script for Rebirth and we're going to do this stuff. And mm-hmm. Remember they sent me and I read it. I read the whole thing ahead of time and I had my suspicions on, but it was redacted. So, oh, gotcha. Ian was redacted. And um, so I didn't know for sure what was coming, but I had my suspicions. And so after I turned in Flash Rebirth number one, which was like Flash Zero, uh, Jeff really liked it, and I remember he gave me a call. But I only wrote the first. Here was the thing, though: I only wrote the first ten pages first because I couldn't write the second half until I knew <laughs> the ending. You know Rites I mean? of passage. Like I had to. Yeah, I had to know it. So Jeff liked the first ten pages, and so he called me to talk about it. And he was like, you know, we were talking about rebirth, 
and I, he was like, what do you think? And I'm like, man, it's really, really good. Like, I think that stuff with Wally is really emotional and, and, you know, I'm really happy to be involved and I get to carry forward some of the stuff with the flash. But leading up to this, every time Jeff and I talked about rebirth, I was always like, what's the last page? Cause I'm obsessed with this. Like I, whenever <laughs> their project, I'm always like, what's your last page? Anytime something mm-hmm. book, what's the last page? Like, what's that thing that's going to slap me in the face that makes me want to read the next issue, you know? So I would always be like, what's the last page? And he's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you. So finally, um, here on the phone, it's like six in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, I have three guesses. Can I tell you what my three guesses are? Huh. And he was like, yes, go ahead. And I was like, all right, I think my first guess is it's the OMAC project again. Like, you're going back to Infinite Crisis. It's going to be the OMAC project. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, been there, done that. I'm like, okay. I was like, all right, you're doing evil legion of superheroes that because of what happened in new 52 the future has been changed and now they just superheroes are no longer this peacekeeping force they've become evil and they're coming back in time and it becomes a whole thing about changing time now to, to stop the legion of superheroes and he was like to fix the future he was like no 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 he's like i like that stuff but no no, no. Like, all right and i was like all right then it's manhattan and bum, bum, bum. <laughs> on the phone with him and it was quiet, and he was just like, "Yes, that is it." He's like, "Who told you?" I was like, "I didn't." I was like, "I, I promise you, I did not. No one told me." Because at that point, I think like five people knew, and I was like, "Wow, I, I just knew from the scripts and where you were going with it, and what could possibly be left. What is the thing that was slapping me in the face? Mm-hmm. What is the thing that has that kind of, you know, oh shitness?" And <laughs> right, right, and I big enough to like, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what was left in the script because there was enough left in the script that the, the clues were all there, right? Like, mm. there were enough clues in there. I felt that uh, I was able to figure it out, and we started talking about it. And I think, you know, at the time, he he was definitely very aware of what a big deal it was. And so for me, it was definitely the same thing of just like every time we started talking about it or getting kind of close to it of. of it definitely felt like playing with fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you could see that with the fan reaction too, right? Some people love it. Some people are just so angry that it's that DC's even using Watchmen characters. It's kind of fascinating. And you broke up there. What did you say at the end yeah, of You cut out. Oh, I was just saying, um, it's kind of fascinating how fans either love Watchmen, you know, carrying on, or they are like so angry that Watchmen characters are involved at all in the DCU. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I see that stuff, and I guess I'm mixed. I I, I don't get too much into, like, the politics of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I will just say that I was very well aware and definitely intimidated by it. I never actually, I've never written a line for any character from Watchmen. Uh, I've never really written a scene with them other than referencing something that happened in another book. Um, right. So I've been able to kind of avoid that stuff. But, I mean, that's part of what I think Infinite Frontier is about is definitely moving forward from those that stuff right it's like manhattan did what he did in, in watchmen and the impacts he had there and how that led to perpetua and the batman who laughs and all this stuff that happened in New 52 and it's like now all that stuff is back everything is cool let's just move forward with it and that's uh right I that's a good way, uh you know it's like let's just i, I want to get the ball rolling and just keep moving forward with new stories and new cool stuff it's a good philosophy for people to have in general, I think, especially people who are on uh, social media quite a lot. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just chill out and carry on. Um, shifting gears to Robin really quick. Can you talk a little bit about working with Gleb um, 
Melnikov on Robin? And was there any specific page in the first issue that we have yet to see because it's not out until April uh, that went above and beyond what you could have anticipated? Yeah, all of it. I mean, he he and I started talking about two years ago um, about working together. And he actually did, even back then, he had done this like pinup of, of Dick Grayson Robin with Batman. And so the moment it got brought up of like, would you want to do a Robin book almost a year ago? So I think it was almost like March or April of last year. I might be wrong, but I feel like it's around there. Um, my first thought was Gleb. Like I immediately was like to the editors, I was like, at all this art he's done of Robin already, you know, yeah. this stuff he's already done from years ago. And they were already aware of him. Uh, and so they knew of other stuff. And so they were hiring for other little things here and there. Kind of, you know, you test someone out. Um, and so they reached out to him and he, he said, yes, he wanted to do it. And then he and I started talking about it and just going back and forth on different ideas and letting him read things ahead of time and talking out some stuff and, and throwing ideas around, asking him what he wanted to draw and didn't want to draw. But we were really on the same page with a lot of stuff. And the first things that came in were the zero hour, or I'm sorry, zero issues. So much for DC. Mm. Uh, the zero issue. Um, I call it the zero issue, but it's the backups that are in the, they're in Batman 106 and Detective 134, I think. Well, I'm be wrong, maybe 136, but there's one that was 134, so it's the March issue. So the March issues of both books have backups in them that are preludes to the actual Robin series. So he did those first. And he started just drawing all of this stuff. There's there's so much art we haven't shown that's like just stuff he was drawing to get used to the character. And he wouldn't just draw these like quick little sketches. He would do full on like when he started drawing the costumes, he would draw these like cool images just of Robin doing cool stuff and looking cool in all these new costumes and stuff we were talking about just to get used to it. And seeing all that stuff was really cool. And then the zero issue. He really uh, just nails it, just all the way across, everything in there. He truly nails it. And then when we got to the first page of issue one, it just really starts to be like, yeah, this guy gets it. He gets this character, he gets the world, he gets what we're doing, and it's just uh, it's really good. Yeah, he and I will chat throughout the day about the stuff that we're doing. I, again, I let him read stuff ahead of time, so it's like, with issue two, I wrote the first draft, and I sent to him, and, and he was like, oh, I like this more than one. And I was like, well... You know, the editors had notes on it. I have notes on it. I'm letting you know what I'm doing. What do you think? You know, and, and mm-hmm. give me his feedback. And, and uh, you know, he's color. He's doing everything himself with pencils, inks, and colors. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's and it, it looks his style has that energy that I think Damien needs too. It's yes. so it's so on point. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he definitely brings. I think what that book needs, and it's fun because it looks like a book I would have loved when I was a kid, when I was like a teenager. Hmm. You know, like. Sure. something like Joe Mad X-Men and it has that kind of energy to it that um, yeah like when Joe Mad was doing that first Deadpool miniseries um, right right it's it's there's a certain energy to it and Gleb who also really likes Joe Mad it's funny him and I have all like the same art favorites so that also <laughs> leads into some of the nice. stuff same similar tastes yeah yeah we started talking about movies like his favorite movie is Kill Bill and my daughter is named after a character in Kill Bill so it's like, oh my god, yeah, everything's coming together. It was so weird. Like, <laughs> when we start realizing stuff, we're like, man, this is strange. Like, how did you and I meet? <laughs> you know, how did he brother from me? another mother? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's awesome. He's definitely brings something to the character, and I think he 
Yeah, he, he brings something to the character, you know. Like obviously, you know, he's definitely a cocky person, too. So I think mm-hmm. that it, uh, it all kind of feels, it just feels right working with him on this. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's the end of our question portion of the show. And our last segment, Super Fight. I'm going to pull a card from this deck called Super Fight. Skybound deck. Yeah, Skybound. Yeah. 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 And uh, we're going to have you have Spectre versus Wonder Woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. We're doing it. We're doing it. Let me pull this card here. All right. Out of <laughs> Wonder Woman and Spectre, who would best defend a castle? <laughs> a castle. <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends on where the castle is. I mean, I guess it depends on does anyone need vengeance? Because I feel like if there, if mm. people, if there's no vengeance involved, I think the Spectre would be disinterested. Mm-hmm. He would let it play out. I think he would be like, you know, is this the right move for me to make? I mean, if you look at something like Kingdom Come, and the whole thing is that he he tells that guy like. I, I can't do this. I need your humanity to help me make a decision. And you're going to uh-huh. make the decision on whether or not I'm going to step in or not. Right. I think that he would have to have that other person and he'd have to make that decision. I think one of them would just, mm-hmm. like she would just defend it with her life and she'd make sure everyone got out of there. Okay. Because right. it's the right thing to do. Right. You know, whereas I think the specter would let it, he would have to know all the angles first. Right. Spectre would be like, well, the castle's still standing, and that's all that matters. Yeah, I guess the question is, what are you defending? Are you defending the castle or the in the castle? Right, right, right. In the Spectre. In the Spectre, or within the castle, and he would say, are those people, is there someone in there where this is vengeance? Like, to think something, and I'm letting vengeance play out. Right, why are they attacking the castle? (laughs) He would question all that, where one would stop the violence first. I think that makes sense. Yeah, one yeah. would save every single person, and therefore probably save the castle even better than yeah, Spectre yeah, would. Yeah. Well, Josh, that's the end of the show. Infinite Frontier number zero is out March second. I believe FOC is February seventh, and Robin number one is out in April. Yeah, in April. Yeah, it's like the last week of April. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think all this stuff, and then I think once Infinite Frontier, by the time Infinite mm-hmm. Frontier comes out. I think of the multiple books, I think two more books I'm working on will be announced by the time Infinite Frontier comes out. Nice. And then we'll have you on two more times. Yeah, yeah. We can <laughs> talk about all this stuff. We can talk about what because one of them spins out of Infinite Frontier, so that's that's something we can talk Ooh. about. Frontier comes out. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs>